It's time for episode 333 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February 12th, 2020. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that always arrives precisely when it needs to. I'm Dan Morin, and across the internet for me is my friend and co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? Uh, much better than yesterday, that's what I'll say. <laughs> yes, I am uh, not having to, to fall over dizzy, and so yeah, oh. I'm counting my blessings today. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's what we want. We want the trend line that moves upwards, just constantly upwards. Yes. Uh, and this is, of course, the tech show where we have two fantastic guests on. To my left this week, it is a software engineer, a game developer, and a candidate for the House of Representatives right here in the Great Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It's Brianna Wu. Welcome back, Bri. Hello, hello. I wouldn't say I'm a great guest. I would say I'm an acceptable guest. That's just how I <laughs> that's, that's, that's not your decision to make. We get to make the qualitative <laughs> decisions here. Very true, very true. I'll take it. I'll take it. And, and another great guest. There we go. We'll just uh, add some extra forcefulness to that. Great. As uh, a game developer and podcaster here on Relay with the Remaster Podcast, it is Shahid Kamil Ahmad. Hello, Shahid. How are you today? I'm great. Really good to be back. It's really great to have you. All right, I'm going to kick things off with the first topic today. Samsung is trying its hand at a foldable phone again, this time with a foldable glass display. So uh, my question for you is, does the Samsung Z Flip do anything for you? Is that an interesting concept? Or do you think this is just one of those fads that's going to go the way of the dinosaurs? Brianna, what do you think? I'm into it. I'm all in on foldable technology. I want foldable everything. <laughs> um, you know, that now that some of the first impressions of this have come out, I'm not 100% sold that this is the uh, the iteration that's something you could buy. Um, early, you know, reviews have pointed out that as you're using it, you're very aware of the fold in the phone. You feel it as you're swiping. And, you know, if you think about your iPhone and how often you're touching the median part of the screen, it's never a great experience, right? Or rather, it's a part that you touch a lot. So I think this is uh, this is not something I'm going to buy myself, but it's clearly a step up, uh, at least from the initial reviews of uh, you know the last Samsung foldable technology uh, that they put out. So I'm psyched about this. I, I'm I, I'm happy for this direction. Uh, but more than anything, I'm waiting for Apple to perfect the concept, so I'll actually buy it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm right there with uh, Bree in terms of seeing these different companies out there working on this technology. Um, it's kind of, we've decided to, instead of throwing the spaghetti that we have at the wall, we're throwing the spaghetti at the consumer and <laughs> we're seeing what sticks. And so these spaghetti projects that are sort of taking place in person or, or, or uh, in real life are good because it means that we are essentially like user testing these products to see what's not working, which lets companies learn as they go and hopefully perfect the technology. I was kind of meh about the foldable uh, phone and the foldable device with the the sort of weird bend in the middle, but 
as I've continued to see this technology, and particularly with the Surface Duo and Neo, um, I think this technology is fascinating. And I would love to see companies continue to improve upon it until we get to a place where we cannot tell that there's a crease between it. What about you, Shade? I think it's a solution looking for a problem, certainly in the current guys. I don't see why anyone would want this particular phone over a perfectly useful existing phone that doesn't require you to flip it open to use the maximum capability. And we're already using our smartphones 25,000 trillion times a day. And every time we do that, do we want to be potentially causing wear on a hinge? So... You know me. Normally, I'm a massive optimist when it comes to technology. <laughs> I do think that the technology has use cases. I don't think the phone is it. I do love the Microsoft phone concept because that feels like a book. feels like the kind of thing that, you know, you would just flip open, read both sides of a book, not at the same time, obviously. Though I hear Oscar Wilde was able to read uh, two opposing pages in different languages at the same time. So I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> But I don't think this is the one. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. Uh, what is the solution here? And certainly it seems like what we're looking for is phones that are smaller uh, that you can carry with you and don't feel as bulky that you can then like expand. But it's a great point that the uh, the most of the existing ones, like you have to flip it open really to get the most out of it. And that point, like, are you really getting a benefit? But I do agree as well that this is a step along that path. I think we are going to move towards, uh, I, I'm impressed with how much has been done in a relatively short amount of time, especially because I don't think it's like that first Galaxy Fold or whatever sold a lot of units. And so Samsung was already like iterating on it and being like, all right, we're going to do the next thing we're gonna try something else and they seem convinced that this is a thing that people want and maybe it is i, I think we're not like mike said we're not at the stage yet where all of these things are things that are uh the consumers are going out and buying but I, i'm intrigued by the technology and certainly the fact that they've shown that it can be done uh lends me a lot of faith that we'll see the evolution of it to a point where it's something that people will actually really want and use but thank you all for your thoughts on that let us go to our second topic today, which comes from Brianna. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, you know, it's always a, a great week uh, in the Brianna Wu office when uh, I have to talk to the FBI and there are news articles about uh, an active investigation of something that happened to me. Um, so there's a there's a Wired story. There is a uh, TechCrunch story out about how uh, basically uh, some of the accounts, uh, not my directly my campaign accounts, were were hacked uh, in a way that makes me feel it was the Russians. Uh, I'm sure you all have followed stories in the news about election security and how people running for federal office have been high-profile targets of, uh, of hacking. At the same time, Google came out yesterday and announced uh, some really high-level uh, security features for campaigns involving uh, basically a dual security physical key system. So I have my own opinion on this, but I guess my question to everyone here is what are some common tips you can give people to keep themselves safe from these kinds of uh, penetrations? What do you think the stakes are with election security? What do you think the audience needs to be thinking about that may not be on their radar? So there's there's obviously a lot to, to pull apart here. I think um, one of the first things that people should know is that uh, you need not be in a high-profile position to not only make use of this technology, but also to... Uh, be a victim of some of the 
the you know schemes and and other hacks that are out there. So I think at least in the past for me, I've had that. Well, I'm not, uh, as far as I know, except maybe by Georgia Dow, I'm not the target of some super spy <laughs> out there who's, who's coming after me and trying to get to my data. Um, so I don't need to be as secure as someone who, you know, would be. And I, I think that everybody should keep their stuff as secure as they possibly can. So one thing that I did um, was I got two of the uh, YubiKey um, Yubico YubiKey cards that have both NFC built in and then USB. Uh, it's just type A. And um, I set up with Google, they have, let me see what it's called here. Um, it's a certain security method that basically adds, it's called adv- the Advanced Protection Program. And uh, they made it for journalists, activists, business leaders, and political campaign teams. Uh, but the cool thing is that regardless you don't need to prove that you're one of these people you don't need to uh have any extra thing in place you can just set this up for your account now it does make some of your um accounts a little less uh what's the word flexible because you can't connect with certain apps and services out there but it's for your protection and so you set it up and you have to have two uh physical security keys uh that you use to log in and so that's one of the things is to keep in mind that there's technology out there that can help you be it one-time passwords or actual physical keys and that that is a technology that anyone can make use of and that you can learn how to use um you need not be uh the target of George Dow for that to, to be to be a thing. <laughs> Shahid, what tips do you have for us? Oh, I, I'm afraid I, I don't have much more than you. I mean, obviously, extremely complicated passwords that are almost impossible for you to remember is one technique. Another is a series of, of words strung together that you would remember, but that are completely random. And to have a completely unique set for, uh, sorry, a completely unique set of words that is for every single login that you have as an absolute basic starter now nobody's going to remember all that to so use some kind of password manager to keep all of those handy and then use the browser integration so you don't lose your mind copying and pasting them all day long that's one thing the other thing is obviously two-factor authentication which is okay i mean it's not great it can be fooled my apple account for example my iCloud account has been subject to abuse i wouldn't call it hacking necessarily but people locking me out of my account since i've had it which is well over a decade now so i'm constantly losing access to it thankfully i do have um apple's take on two-factor authentication enabled and every so often have to unlock my account i'm not notified though because someone just tries to issue a password reset uh apart from that you know the the weakest link is always going to be the human link it's going to be Certainly with some um, systems, it's trivial for someone who's motivated to call up with uh, a story that sounds perfectly reasonable and they're able to get your account. This actually happened to me despite having a verified PlayStation account. My account got taken over. Thankfully, I knew someone at PlayStation and I was able to retrieve the account. Uh, Had it been someone from the outside, I don't know if they'd been as lucky and they certainly wouldn't have been able to get their account back as quickly. And so the other thing is, you know, when you get like memorable questions, 
Never answer the memorable questions with facts. Always answer the memorable questions when you're asked to fill them in with some random spurious nonsense, which you're also going to put into your password manager. So that's the basic stuff. I mean, I have been attacked many times um, and I've survived so far. Um, but, you know, if, if we look at the other side of things I mean, the, the security and the safety of uh, elected representatives or those wanting to reach that station is probably the most important thing we can possibly imagine. I mean, these people represent us. They are us, you know. They they speak for us. We need to look after them. We need to protect them. If we can't do that, we're in serious trouble. I just think the whole situation with online security is such a mess. It's a very, very tricky um, area. It's a bit of a minefield, but there are several things you can do to reduce the risk somewhat. I, I think you you guys so far have really hit upon the big things about unique passwords, strong passwords, password managers, two-factor authentication, you know, security keys if you want to go that far, um, and education being all kind of the paramount things. I will add to that briefly. Uh, I think one thing that's really important is pressure on the tech companies as, uh, as well to improve their systems, right? Because there's only so much you can do to protect yourself. Uh, there are lots of these cases where passwords get leaked uh, usernames and passwords get leaked because the servers of a company get hacked, right? And that's not any of our responsibility, other than we have to hold these people responsible when this happens and, in, you know, incentivize them or punish them into having better security. So uh, I think one thing that we can all agree on, too, is that uh, the fact that despite passwords are being ubiquitous, they're not great as a form of security. So I'm also looking forward to uh, tech companies and, uh, you know, public interest organizations working together to find better ways to secure our identities online. I saw this week a story that I think Apple had joined this FIDO alliance, which is a, you know, a, a tech consortium looking to improve online security and how to identify yourselves online. I, I think we shouldn't be um, uh, complacent about the state of online security. It's clearly not good enough. So we should be investigating and researching and finding new ways uh, for us to secure our information online. Uh, as you guys have all pointed out, it's really important. So, yeah, I'll uh, turn it back over to Brie for last. Yeah, quick thought, <laughs> quick thought. I know we're, this is we're running a little long. This is so stressful because we have no time left. Um, I'm just going to say, I will just say super quickly, uh, when you run for office, Cybersecurity is not a priority uh, culturally with the people mm. you hire, because think about it. It's like I could go spend uh, X number of dollars on, you know, canvassing operations to go talk to voters directly, or I can kind of just trust that the system works and think about something else, right? Because campaigns are so mm -hmm. uh, resource constrained. So it's much harder for any kind of, uh, of uh, election to, to have cybersecurity, which makes it a very, very big target. So um, this is a huge challenge, and there unfortunately are not easy answers uh, to this. I think it would help. I was telling uh, Reuters about this yesterday. I think it would help when you run for office, the FEC gives you a ton of documents saying, this is how you can raise money. This is what you can do. This is how you can spend money on. Um, this is what is 
will put you in jail. <laughs> and you better believe I read that. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, in the same way, um, it would be helpful if there was some central documentation about best practices. And it would really help if uh, tech companies stepped up and, um, you know, supported campaigns how they could. I think, uh, you know, Google uh, giving out these uh, essentially Yubi keys to campaigns for free when they qualify. I think that's a great first step. And I want to see more of that. Yep, obviously a big issue, and we only have a certain amount of time because it is, of course, halftime with two topics down, two topics to go. And this week's episode of Clockwise is brought to you by our good friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. They've got 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia. And with their enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a surprisingly good price. Get started on Linode today with a $20 credit for listeners of this show, and you will get access to uh, Nanode plans starting as low as $5, dedicated CPU plans with physical cores reserved just for you, block storage and object storage that can scale your storage requirements, and one-click installs of the most popular apps, including WordPress, the LAMP stack, and game servers for Minecraft, plus much more. Go to linode.com slash clockwise and use promo code clockwise2020 when creating a new Linode account. And you'll get $20 credit towards your next project. Oh, and Linode is hiring right now. So if that's something that interests you, go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Once again, that's linode.com slash clockwise and the promo code clockwise2020 for that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of the show and all of Relay FM. All right, halftime is over. Micah, take it away. All right, Samsung's newest phones, they just had their uh, Samsung event. They tout displays with 120 hertz refresh rates. Do you have any 120 hertz refresh rate devices? And I'm curious if you notice the difference between ones that don't and ones that do. Shahid, we will start with you. Well, this is going to be a very short answer. Yes, a monitor or a PC, and it's awesome for video games, for games that support that kind of refresh rate. Uh, I became somewhat notorious a few years ago for putting out a tweet that read something along the lines of give me 60 frames per second or give me death. <laughs> uh, because, you know, just I, I just like games that are smooth because that responsiveness is really, really important to me. And I, I also opened my big mouth many years back, espousing the virtues of the iPhone's buttery smooth mm. UI and somewhat indelicately criticizing Android's attempts at UI um, and resorting to barely suppressed laughter when they called their project to improve the responsiveness project butter. Of course, this is all a long time ago, and things have gone to the other extent. So now we have, of course, the... Um, uh, oh, my God, what is it? The OnePlus 7 Pro that has a 90... Uh, 90 hertz screen which has leapfrogged um, Apple's device to some extent of course you have got 120 hertz um, of uh, ProMotion yumminess on an iPad Pro and that is really really beautiful so yes I'm all for the frame rate give me the frame rate I love the frame rate I live for the frame rate I would die for the frame rate <laughs> Uh, um, I have an iPad Pro with a 120 hertz, though, the ProMotion display, and it looks great. Can I tell the difference when I go back back and forth between that and my uh, iPhone 11 Pro? 
no. Uh, maybe just my eyes are not really cut out for it. And I'm sure that if I had 120 hertz display on my iPhone uh, 11 Pro that I would be very excited about that. And I'm sure everything would look great. Um, but I think I just bounce back and forth between so many screens these days that it doesn't really register for me. Um, except in very specific situations uh, to see something with a lower frame rate. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a definitely something that should be improved. I'm sure Apple wants to get 120 hertz display in their iPhones. I'm sure it's only a matter of time. And I welcome, I welcome that. But I, I don't need the death uh, part, Chad. I'll leave that to you. You can, you can die on that, though. <laughs> uh, I have the same opinion, Dan. Um, you know, I saw uh, the reviews of a lot of the new uh, Samsung phones and how they do have this technology. I will admit, um, I'm like you, my iPad Pro looks nice. Uh, I can't tell the difference personally. Um, so I'm sure it's a great feature. There are clearly some people that care a lot about it. I'm just not one of them. So cool. Yeah, I'm with you, Bree. So uh, I remember <laughs> when uh, Stephen Hackett of, uh, of of Relay fame, ha, uh, hey boss, he said that um, <laughs> whenever he first was using the iPad Pro, and I'm not sure if this is still the case, but he actually had to enable that feature that stops the 120 hertz refresh rate because it was kind of making him queasy using the device with the uh, faster refresh rate. I don't notice the difference between 120 hertz and not 120 hertz. So that feature for me is not something that makes me go, ooh, I have to have this device. Uh, so it's been kind of interesting seeing how Samsung really touts that as part of its uh, update. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I don't, I don't quite notice the difference and I certainly don't uh, get queasy from it, which I'm happy about. <laughs> thank goodness. Uh, thank you all for your answers on that. And we will go to our last topic, which comes from Shahid. So Udemy, Skillshare, Masterclass, uh, with my apologies to any potential sponsors. Um, <laughs> we will also throw YouTube into the mix. I'm pretty sure they don't sponsor any of the shows. These are great places to get an amazing education. And more and more people are learning stuff, particularly applied knowledge from these various channels at a prodigious rate. I mean, I've watched people in video games learn everything they wanted to learn and go to ridiculous extents to prove their their brilliance and learn things that really don't need to learn. I mean, all, all kinds of weird stuff. But anyway, um, they can do that all online. They haven't gone to MIT you know, so my question is, given the high cost of degrees and exploding student debt and with the growth of knowledge available online, are universities losing their relevance? Big question again. Uh, I don't think hmm, this is tricky. I think every university should have uh, should should learn from this. Um, there should be these, you know, distance learning stuff is obviously very big. There's a lot of universities that put a lot of their course stuff off online. Uh, I think that's really important. I don't think universities have entirely lost their relevance, um, if only because I think there is a more to gain from a university experience than simply what you learn in the classroom. I, I feel like the socialization element of it is really important for a lot of us. Leaving home is really important and kind of living on our own. 
Um, so that element of that is is still kind of critical. And you can't get that necessarily from an online resource. That said, I 100% agree that uh, it's become very expensive and it's hard in a lot of cases to justify that. There are certainly policy decisions that might help that. Um, I, I think that there's also a lot for those universities to look at these things and realize, look, we have to be more competitive because all this stuff is being offered online, uh, often either for free or for a nominal fee. So we should figure out ways to compete with that and improve our offerings and offer more things that can't necessarily uh, be uh, replicated and that you know justify our price tag, as it were. So yeah, that's a, that's a brief overview of it, but I'll say not entirely, but I do think that there is a, a threat there for them that they should be aware of. I think it's case dependent. Um, you know, if you're looking at something like video games, I'm of the opinion that there is a very limited um, value to going to college to learn to do video games. I'd love to see our industry develop more of an apprenticeship uh, system. I've talked about it many times, but you know, my game studio is flooded with people that have gone out and spent $100,000 on a degree and do not have the skills to work in a professional video game pipeline. Um, you're running for office. I was talking to the the elevators union here in Boston yesterday, uh, not yesterday, a few weeks ago. And uh, they have a very sophisticated apprenticeship program uh, where they bring you out, they pay you to learn on the job. And I think that is something that makes sense for many fields. That's what I do. Look at what my husband does, though. Um, you know, he has a PhD in bacterial genetics. He is a patent agent and is qualified to do a very specialized area of law, uh, basically writing patents for drugs. Uh, this is something you could not do if you didn't have a great deal of specialized education. So I think the answer is, you know, in, we need a culture where people are taught to learn on their own because the things you learn in college are not going to sustain you through an entire career. That said, as you said, Dan, the socialization aspects of college are certainly valuable. We don't need a one-size-fits-all approach to this. And I certainly think we need to push past this idea that someone doesn't spend you know, fifty, sixty, dollars $100,000 on a four-year degree. They're not going to have an economic future. If that's the system we built, we need to build something else. Uh, that last part, especially the idea that this that there's a one size fits all approach. I think um, you know, thinking back to university and thinking about those first classes that you, or at least I had to take to in order to you know complete the bachelor's degree, which were classes that essentially had already been taken in high school. And I see a lot of people who get those classes um, feel like they're wasting time or feel you know sort of. <laughs> begrudgingly go to them and and complete them i think that uh the idea that you continue an education in things that you may have already learned is a little bit oh pesky time wasting financial waste you know money wasting etc etc when it seems that the point of going to a university is a continuance of your education uh, to to build upon something that's a little bit more focused. Um, so those kinds of things, that one-size-fits-all approach of, well, let's basically reteach everyone because we don't trust where they came from the, and their education there uh, for the first two years before they actually get to sort of specialize is not great, I think. And the idea that uh, you know you can go to a trade school instead and learn the skills that you're actually trying to learn. My little brother, for example, is going to school to be an electrician, and 
you know, I, I kind of envy him the ability to start in classes and courses right away that are about the thing that he wants to do. Um, so yeah, I and a lot of the skills that I have today that I use in my job, they're not experiential. Um, they are skills that I acquired using these uh, applications and services that uh, Shahid mentioned at the beginning. So yeah, I, I definitely don't think that universities are the only way. Um, but I suppose they have their place if we can just figure out the student loan debt issue, because that's oof, not good. It was a terribly provocative question, I know. <laughs> and I didn't mean to do universities down necessarily, but I do think they need to evolve. And to their credit, some of the greatest teachers alive are in universities. And the biggest deficit you have in online courses is that you don't necessarily have access to a teacher. And to really bring out true understanding Sometimes you need more than just a lesson in a video with some multiple choice um, questions at the end. You need a teacher to bring a new level of understanding out from you. And here's the thing. They're not necessarily at universities anymore. So that's what universities have got to figure out. How can we use the best teachers in the world who might not necessarily be on campus, who might not necessarily be professors, but they are nevertheless leading people in their fields to deliver the education, but not just in a packaged way, but to genuinely create a spirit of lifelong and continuous learning in all of our students who could be anywhere in the world. Well, we solved that problem, which is great. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is four topics down. We have just enough time for a bonus topic. So really quick, this past weekend was the Academy Awards. Uh, I want to know what the best movie you've seen recently is. Brianna? Birds of Prey. Loved it. Harley Quinn. Go see it. Jojo Rabbit for me. Uh, Taika Waititi is oh, amazing. Uh, look, I don't watch a lot of films. But um, Dolomite was probably the best thing I've watched recently. It was on Netflix, and it was a lot of fun. Nice. I watched Parasite like two nights before the Oscars, and it was pretty great. So deserves to win. All right. Thanks for your thoughts on that. That is the end of the show. And, of course, all we have left to do is thank our fantastic guest this week, Brianna Wu. Thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. And Shahid Kamal Ahmad, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And Micah, we will be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.